transmitting live from the heart of Times Square on 99.5 FM, WBAI New York, Pacifica Radio for the Tri-State Area. This is Trump Watch, a weekly series examining how President Donald J. Trump and his administration are changing the world we live in. I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Since the election, we've created more than 5.5 million new jobs and more than 60,000 brand new oil and gas pipeline construction jobs. We approved the Keystone Pipeline almost on day one. And we got the Dakota Access Pipeline out of a lot of trouble. They had built it, but they had a little problem. They had a river, and they didn't have that permit. I gave it to them. I gave it to them. So we got that open. That was 40,000 jobs between the two of them. We withdrew the United States from the one-sided Paris Climate Accord, where you don't do any more drilling for oil and gas. That was going to cost us a lot of money. No more oil and gas with the Paris Accord. That was President Trump speaking to an audience at the International Union of Operating Engineers Training Center in Crosby, Texas, on April 10th, footage courtesy of the White House press office. The president went on to sign two executive orders in front of that crowd, both meant to speed up the construction of pipelines and other methods of transporting oil and natural gas across interstate and international borders, as reported by The New York Times. Hello and welcome to Trump Watch. In that speech, the president framed the issue of building pipelines as one of simple job creation. Yet for the thousands of indigenous peoples who consider the land on which the pipeline is being built or proposed to be built, the amount of jobs created for oil and natural gas employees is beside the point. Joining me now live in the studio to help break down how these two new executive orders from President Trump could change life for Native tribes in the region is Aileen Brown, a reporter for The Intercept and author of the article Trump Pushes a New Pipeline Permit as Floods Devastate Native American Tribes. And on the phone is Shan River Tribal Chairman Harold Frazier. Hello, Aileen. Hello, Harold. Welcome to Trump Watch. Thanks so much for being our guest today on the show. Thank you. Yep, thank you for having me. Aileen, it seems that a lot of Americans outside of the activist community began to tune out regarding the fight over oil and natural gas pipelines after the Dakota Access Pipeline protests began to die down in the early months of 2017. Would it be possible for you to give our listeners a broad overview of what's been happening in the fight over pipelines in the two years since then? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I would say that the fight over pipelines certainly has not ended. Um, There continue to be legal battles around the Dakota Access Pipeline, and there are multiple other oil and gas pipelines across the U.S. and Canada that indigenous people and local communities worried about uh, water contamination and climate change um, have, have continued to fight. Um, Keystone XL uh, is kind of the pipeline that began this nationwide fight against um, oil pipelines, and um, and it still has not been constructed. It's one of the most active um, battles ongoing right now. And one of these executive orders is specifically dealing with the Keystone Pipeline, right? 
Yes, that's right. Um, so one of the orders, um, I mean, to understand the order that was pushed forward last week, you kind of have to go back a few years. Um, the to for the Keystone XL tar sands oil pipeline to be built, they need TransCanada, the the oil pipeline company, needs a permit to cross the Canadian border with the U.S. The pipeline goes from the tar sands region of Canada to um, Nebraska, where it it connects to a bigger system that ends up on the Gulf Coast refineries. So, um, so the the permit that's required to cross the border typically has gone through the State Department. When Obama was in office, the State Department denied TransCanada this permit. Um, almost as soon as Trump entered office, he issued an executive order demanding that, uh, or inviting TransCanada to reapply for this permit and um, demanding that federal agencies expedite approval as soon as that application was submitted. So months later, the pipeline was approved, and um, but it continued to face legal challenges. So in November, um, a judge in Montana, I believe, put the put pipeline construction on hold, saying that the State Department needed to do another environmental review before they could move forward. So then fast forward to um, the March 29th, I believe, um, Trump announced as South Dakota was dealing with catastrophic flooding, um, you know, kind of a, a center place of um, of people who are fighting the pipelines is facing this kind of climate-driven devastation, Trump announces that he has issued a presidential permit for the pipeline to cross the Canadian border. And um, then last week, following up on that, he issued this order that said um, that for a pipeline like that to be built, for infrastructure, cross-border infrastructure to be built, you don't need a State Department permit, you need a presidential permit. And with that presidential permit, it's questionable whether or not the same environmental laws will apply. So that order or that um, legal decision in November apparently would not apply if all you need is a presidential permit. I mean, we'll see how that plays out in the in the legal system. There's certainly a lot of people gearing up to fight that. But essentially, the executive order is a workaround to avoid this um, this decision that stopped pipeline construction. Harold, how did the battle over indigenous lands uh, it, that the government sees as standing in the way of their pipelines change after President Trump took office? Well, you know, I, I believe that, you know, since he took office, um, it kind of seemed like a uphill battle. You know, he kind of has an attitude that he doesn't uh, care about our rights or any laws that, that uh, are here to protect the, us and our resources. But I see a slight change, um, especially when the Democrats have taken over the House. Uh, one of the things, and I was kind of uh, to be relieved a little bit when I went um, about a month ago, and it felt good to hear some of the congressional people talk about the trust responsibility that they have toward us Indian people, and it's starting to give me hope that, you know, uh, that we, we're going to win this battle. And uh, so 
But, yeah, it just kind of seemed like when he first come in, he had full control of the House and the Senate, and it definitely looked like it was going to be a tough battle to win politically or administratively. But now I, I see that there's a small glimmer of hope, and I think building on that, I think we could uh, you know, overcome this pipeline. Do you have any sense, Harold, of how these new executive orders meant to expedite oil pipeline construction could affect things on the ground in your neck of the woods? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, um, where it's going to cross on our uh, reservation is about two miles from our border. But one of the big concerns is that uh, they're they're intending to uh, divert the Cheyenne River, which is our southern border, and by them doing that, they're they, uh, going to disturb the the riverbed. And we had a case against Homestead Gold Mine in the '90s that you know showed that they contaminated the, the river. And I'm being told by our people that you know a lot of them contaminants and stuff that settle on a riverbed and as long as they're not disturbed you know it, it may be okay but but this diversion is definitely going to stir up the riverbed and and the sad thing about it is, is where does the intent to divert the river is probably like about four miles from our community of bridger where in the summertime a lot of our kids swim in the river uh, a lot of people fish so you know it is a, a disorder is i mean there has, you know, nobody can be above the law, and I'm thinking that at some point that the president will get stopped on the second order. Do you have a sense, and I assume you do, of, of how far your ancestors' ties with this land go back? Ah, you know, we have creation stories that tell us it forever goes back. You know, I, I can't, you know, I can't put a time, you know, it just... From the beginning of the time, our stories tell us that we've always been here on these lands. Aileen, you report in your article that earlier this month, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem signed into law two bills designed to help the state government pay for the cost of policing what are expected to be massive indigenous-led demonstrations if construction of the Keystone XL pipeline begins One of the two laws, SB 189, creates new civil penalties for riot boosting, as they call it, which would apply not only to riot participants, but to anyone, uh, as you report, who directs, advises, encourages, or solicits other persons participating in the riot to act uh, of force or violence. How unique is this kind of government-sanctioned suppression of protest in this region? Have other surrounding states passed similar laws? So I would say that South Dakota's duo of laws is is certainly unique, although it's part of a wider problem um, or or a wider issue. You know, across the U.S., um, states have passed these critical infrastructure protection laws that have created new crimes um, for individuals who you know, tamper with or interfere with um, fossil fuel infrastructure in any way. And they're they're written very vaguely so that they could potentially apply to all kinds of activities. Um, those laws have been, there's a, there's a piece of model legislation that the American Legislative Exchange Council, um, which is this fossil fuel 
industry-funded organization that drafts legislation that state legislators pick up across the U.S. Um, Alec has drafted a version of this law that, again, has been picked up in at least eight states. I think there may be more than that. Um, Some have passed them, some have not. South Dakota's is unique in that it's really aimed at funding the costs of protest. So the the law that has gotten the most attention, SB 189, as as you described, um, creates this new um, riot boosting crime. And it's really has a chilling effect. You know, it's so it's written so vaguely that it could impact any national organization that's doing any kind of training or support for um, for pipeline opponents. Um, so the ACLU um, is suing South Dakota um, for infringing on the free speech rights of um, an array of organizations, uh, including Indigenous Environmental Network, Sierra Club, um, and a couple mm-hmm. others who, who are really saying, you know, this makes it impossible for us to support um, pipeline opponents. The, the other piece of legislation that's gotten less attention that I think is really important is SB 190, and that's really tied to the riot-boosting law. Be- SB 190 creates this big fund of money that will go to reimburse mostly law enforcement agencies for any policing activity mm-hmm. they do related to the pipeline. Um, and so it's drawing money from a few different pools. One is this riot boosting fund, which, you know, all these civil penalties that come out of SB 189 would go into this fund and ultimately be funneled toward policing. But the biggest chunk of money that this new law creates um, is coming directly from the pipeline company. So TransCanada would basically fund up to $20 million of um, policing of pipeline opponents. So it really raises questions about um, the line between the police law enforcement's responsibility to the public and um, their their work protecting, um, you know, what is really a foreign corporation's property. I'm speaking with Cheyenne River Tribal Chairman Harold Frazier and Aileen Brown, a reporter for The Intercept. You're listening to Trump Watch. My name is Jesse Lent. Harold, do you have any sense of whether these laws will be successful, at least from the government's perspective, the state government, of stifling protests of uh, the Keystone Pipeline? No, I, I don't think so. You know that there's a several organization as well as the ACLU is currently going to challenge them in, in, in state court, and and I, I believe that these these uh, laws will be struck down because it's it's a total infringement on the First Amendment rights of of, of anybody. Um, so I, I don't think it's going to you know and and I tell you what when it comes down to uh, and I hope it don't get to that point, but. It comes down to our uh, to our lands, our homelands. You know, it doesn't matter because our people will be standing up and, and, and fighting against it. And because you know, them are uh, a lot of our sacred lands. There's a lot of uh, traditional camps that that our people were at, and particularly, you know, Chief Bigfoot before he went to Wounded That's where his his camp was, right where the pipeline's going to cross. So, a lot of our people, it doesn't matter. They're going to stand up. An important part of this discussion is, of course, climate change. And 
the fact that by investing in pipelines, we're setting ourselves up to be dependent, we being the U.S., uh, on these energy sources for generations to come because of the ease of production. In Aileen's article, you report how the Oglala Sioux tribe is experiencing the effect of rising waters right now. Uh, what's the current situation where you are, Harold? Well, in Cheyenne River, just today, uh, we got to close some, uh, a couple of our, our roads, and particularly one uh, through the weather, uh, through uh, the, the high rise waters of the creeks. We got a bridge that is uh, in jeopardy. Uh, we got a uh, not too far, probably about four miles from that bridge, we got a road that is uh, has a sinkhole, and, and it, can, it looks more than 10, 15 feet. Uh, other areas on a reservation right now, uh, near where I live, along the Morrow River, uh, we got a creek that is currently flooding over, it's over the uh, bridge itself. And it, it, we, we've had a lot of, uh, lot of damage to the roads, uh, our bridges, and Things like that. I haven't been down to Ogallala, but I know uh, I'm understanding that they're experiencing as well as roads, but flooding. But yeah, we've been really uh, hit hard by the by the floods and things, and it's kind of been a, a tough winter, a tough year for our people. I mean, we face a lot of uh, blistering cold in, in, in the month of February, and, and slowly that snow was creeping up on us. And so when we had the first melt, I mean. Know, we caused a lot of flooding uh, along the Morrow River. The Cheyenne River, of course, flooded as well. So, Harold, uh, I don't know if you heard the clip of the president's speech that we played at the top of the show, but he frames this issue as being one of job creation. Uh, that uh, you know, with without getting to into the uh, the economic forecast of how of his job numbers uh, and and the accuracy there. Uh, you know, what would you say to someone who says, "Look, I, I realize this is this is land that's very important, but jobs uh, jobs have to be the most important thing here." Well, you know, you know, while they're construction jobs, but once that pipeline, or if it ever gets completed, you know, there's going to be very minimal work, and for the longevity of it, and that's something that uh, you know. I say South Dakota needs to realize, you know, yeah, it's going to be jobs at the beginning, but, you know, a few months down the road or whatever, you know, there's going to be no more jobs if there is. I, I think I've seen somewhere, I read that there'll probably be only six permanent jobs, you know, to kind of watch it. Um, so it, it's not, it, it's a, I've always said this, even against the Dakota Access Pipeline, it's an economic booster for just a few people, you know, come down to it. Aileen, have you seen those similar numbers, six permanent jobs? Yeah, I don't recall the exact numbers, but I think that there's a lot of agreement that some of the numbers that have been put out by TransCanada, for example, are inflated. You know, a lot of the jobs that are affiliated with the pipeline are temporary construction jobs. Um, you know, once the pipeline's built, the jobs are done. And and in a lot of cases, um, the jobs that are created are filled by people who aren't from, you know, the community. They're coming in from out of town. They're people who do this kind of work all, all around the U.S. And so it's not always necessarily a job creator for, um, for the communities where construction is happening. Are there reports, uh, I know that 
Obama had held off for a while making a decision on the pipeline uh, because he wanted to study the environmental effect. Uh, Do we have a a decent picture of the environmental effect now of one of these pipelines? Um, I mean, I think you can look at it in a lot of different ways. Um, You know, the Dakota Access Pipeline has already had a number of small leaks. Um, Pipelines leak. They just do. Um, It's just... Essentially, if you build a pipeline, it, they'll probably eventually leak. The Keystone Pipeline, which is kind, which is part of the same system that the Keystone XL will link to, had a massive flood um, in the Dakotas earlier. I think it was earlier this year. It might have been last year. Um, so you know, the the issue of leakage is is quite serious. It's it's something that happens all the time. Um, you know, the other issue, of course, is climate change. Um, the Keystone XL pipeline is carrying tar sands oil um, to the Gulf Coast. And tar sands oil is one of the most carbon intensive uh, fossil fuels out there. So, you know, if we're dealing with, uh, we're, you know, we're at a point where this is a climate emergency. We need to totally change the way, I mean, we need to totally move away from fossil fuels like now. Um, there's like 12 years, I think, we have to um, to address this in a serious way. So if we're building new infrastructure to expand production in the tar sands region at a time when we should be shutting it down, that's really going in the wrong direction. And it's really, you know, the repercussions, the potential repercussions are really serious. And that's kind of what the flooding in um, the Midwest over the last month has has revealed um, it what happened in South Dakota um, on the Pine Ridge Reservation on the Cheyenne River Reservation um, is consistent with what scientists are predicting in that region of the world more intensive storms more flooding um, and it's going to be the people that have the fewest resources that are the hardest hit um, yeah Harold just in the last couple minutes we have here. Is there anything that you would like more Americans to understand about this fight over where this pipeline goes? You know, um, you, you know, it's really, really sad. And, and I, I like to challenge South Dakota. You know, South Dakota is known as the agriculture state. And I always grew up, you know, that the earth is our grandmother. And, and you always know you never harm her. You take care of her. And, and in return, you know, she provides a good life for us. And it's just like these farmers. I, I just cannot believe that uh, this mainstream South Dakota is not supporting us because, you know, the grandmother takes good care of us and, and we need to take care of her. And, and this pipeline coming in is, is definitely harmful to her. So it's just kind of a little disappointing that, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, the agriculture community should all wake up nationwide and hey you know start putting a stop to these uh pipelines aileen why do you think that the recent struggles over the pipeline haven't received as much attention in the last couple of years i mean i think everybody is really distracted by the innumerable emergencies going off around us you know i think with trump in office people's attention spans are very short because there's 
you know, a new crisis every day. Um, often they're manufactured crises. Um, you know, I think distraction is part of the idea between, you know, some of Trump's tweets, for example. Um, so I think people's attention span for something that that is not immediately involving, you know, the the deaths of children in detention on the border, um, for example. You know, so people pay attention to South Dakota for a minute because this catastrophic flooding is happening, but it's harder for, I think it's harder for people to see the pipelines as an emergency when they're not under construction right this very second. Thank you both so much. Thank you. I've been speaking with Cheyenne. Thank Thank you so much. I've been speaking with Cheyenne River Tribal Chairman Harold Frazier and Aileen Brown, a reporter for The Intercept and author of the article, Trump Pushes a New Pipeline Permit as Floods Devastate Native American Tribes. You're listening to Trump Watch. My name is Jesse Lent. And that's all for this week. Reggie Johnson engineered this program live. You can hear all 112 episodes of Trump Watch with Jesse Lent at soundcloud.com slash trumpwatchwbai or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter and join us again next Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. when we'll break down a different aspect of the Donald Trump administration. Until then, I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Talk to you next time.